Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, January 8th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The conflict between Washington and Tehran reached new heights as Iran launched missile strikes that hit bases in Iraq housing American troops. Plus, the outgoing governor of the Bank of England says central banks are low on the ammunition needed to fight a recession. And Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido reclaims his post as the head of Congress. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Iran has taken its first step in retaliating against the U.S. following the airstrike that killed General Qasem Soleimani last week. Iran's Revolutionary Guards launched more than a dozen ballistic missiles at two Iraqi military bases hosting American troops. The elite force released a statement saying the mission was named Martyr Soleimani. The Pentagon confirmed the attacks. There were no details of casualties at the time of this recording. U.S. President Donald Trump has said this week he would respond to any retaliation by Iran. Late on Tuesday night in D.C., the U.S. president tweeted that he would be making a statement this morning. What happens if monetary policy loses its effectiveness at managing economic swings? What if, no matter how low central banks keep interest rates, the cuts don't spark additional spending? Bank of England Governor Mark Carney says these aren't just hypotheticals. These scenarios could very well be where the global economy is headed. In an interview with the FT, Mr. Carney warned of this so-called liquidity trap, and he said central banks were running out of the ammunition needed to combat an economic recession. He also took the opportunity to echo calls for governments to do their part through fiscal policy. And the governor was optimistic about London's role as a world financial center, even with Brexit on the horizon. Mr. Carney was appointed to the BOE in late 2012 after serving as governor of the Bank of Canada. His successor, Andrew Bailey, will take over in mid-March. You can read the full interview. It's up on FT.com. Last year, Venezuela's opposition leader, Juan Guaido, declared himself the country's interim president as he tried to oust Nicolas Maduro from power. Both men still claim to be the leader. Now, the reason Mr. Guaido says he's Venezuela's president is that he was elected the leader of one of two rival parliaments, the National Assembly. On Sunday, Mr. Guaido sought re-election as National Assembly president, but police stopped him from entering parliament for the vote. Mr. Guaido lost a vote that many say was illegitimate, and instead Luis Eduardo Para was elected the head of Venezuela's National Assembly. Later on Sunday, Mr. Guaido's supporters gathered elsewhere to re-elect him as head of the assembly for another year. But as the FT's Andean correspondent Gideon Long explains, this was just the beginning of more chaos in Venezuela. So on Tuesday, there was the first session of the National Assembly Congress, and it always looked as though it was going to be polemical because we'd had these two rival presidents, Juan Guaido and Luis Parra, both elected on Sunday. So we knew there was going to be a session Tuesday, but we didn't know who was going to preside it, which of these two rival presidents would preside the session. In the end, there were two sessions. So first thing on Tuesday morning, the pro-government legislators gathered and uh, Luis Parra was confirmed as president of the National Assembly, but in the absence of the opposition legislators. And then later, Mr. Guaido turned up at the National Assembly to try and get in. You can hear that audio here. 
And after scuffles outside the assembly between the legislators, the opposition legislators and the security forces, he and his supporters finally managed to get in. They burst through the doors of the National Assembly. They went into the chamber. Mr. Guaido took the chair and they held an alternative session. So effectively, we had two sessions of Congress, one after the other. The first headed by Mr. Para, and most of the attendants at that session were pro-government supporters. And then the second chaired by Juan Guaido in front of his own supporters. So Gideon, as it stands, there are two men who claim to be president, two rival parliaments, and now two men who say they head Congress. What can we expect out of Venezuela next? Well, it looks like this situation will continue. There is another session of the National Assembly set for January the 14th. And I would expect that the same thing will happen again, that both of the presidents will turn up. Both will claim to be the legitimate president of Congress. Juan Guaido also claims to be the legitimate president of the country. And they will both try and sit. And one can imagine that this setup will continue for some time with neither side giving way. So it's difficult really to see how much this really changes the situation on the ground in Venezuela. Nicolas Maduro remains the de facto president of the country, whatever Juan Guaido might say. And I suspect that we will have these two rival congresses sitting either side by side or one day after the other, who knows, for some time to come. Boeing is recommending that pilots for its 737 MAX jet receive training in flight simulators. It's a change of heart for the plane maker. It had previously said pilots could retrain on the jet just by using a software program. The company said the move is to instill public, customer, and stakeholder confidence in the 737 MAX. But this could mean higher costs for airlines and extended delays before the planes get back in the air. The 737 MAX has been grounded since March following the second of two crashes that killed a total of 346 people. Boeing is making changes to the anti-stall software that's been implicated in both accidents. U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said Republicans are able to move ahead with Donald Trump's impeachment trial, even without a deal with Democrats. Now, Democrats have been holding out on how the trial should run. They're demanding testimony for witnesses, witnesses who did not participate in the House of Representatives investigation last year. The rules of an impeachment trial require the approval of a simple majority of senators. Republicans have 53 of the 100 Senate seats, but there are questions about how some moderate Republicans would vote. Mr. McConnell now says his party has the votes to move ahead with the trial on its terms. Mr. McConnell said the Senate would evaluate whether to have witnesses after the initial phase of the trial. It's the same way President Bill Clinton's impeachment trial was structured in 1999. And in the past 10 days, Former Nissan chief executive Carlos Ghosn went from awaiting trial in Japan on financial misconduct charges to touching down in Lebanon. In between was a daring escape, and a journey that we're learning about in bits and pieces. And while we wait for Mr. Ghosn's potentially explosive press conference from Beirut today, my colleague Josh Chaffin has been reporting on a man named Mike Taylor. Mr. Taylor's a former member of the U.S. Army's elite Green Berets, and he allegedly helped Mr. Ghosn escape. Michael Taylor is almost like a movie character from an incredible thriller. He is a former Green Beret, grew up in Boston and other parts of the country, 
trained jumping out of airplanes. He went to Lebanon in the early 80s with special forces in the midst of the country's civil war. And that was a key moment. He ended up going back to Lebanon after he left the military, began working as a private security contractor, and also uh, married a Lebanese woman and established what seemed to be pretty deep ties in that part of the world. He was described to me by one person who'd known him for a long time as um, very complicated. What role did he allegedly play in helping Mr. Ghosn escape? He is believed to have orchestrated the escape, which we know it began with a a ride on the bullet train across Japan to an airport that they had reportedly scoped out and chosen because of its a few flaws in its security, and then put Mr. Ghosn in a case that would typically be used to store or transport musical equipment, got him past passport control that way, and then on a private jet to Turkey, where he then changed planes and flew on to his native Lebanon. There are still questions as to exactly how Mr. Taylor was hired and what repercussions will follow from that. There's quite a lot more to learn about him and write about him. He's a, he's a very rich character who's been involved in a lot of different ventures. We have tried to get in touch with Mr. Taylor, and we, he has so far not responded. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.